You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1220 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you deep into the night on a Friday into Saturday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the show, making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our newly launched YouTube channel for uh, the video side of things. And, of course, the headliner of the evening. So the Atlanta Hawks are moving on to the NBA playoffs. And I'm not using the word playoffs on purpose. Before this, which is the postseason, the play-in tournament, it's not the playoffs. But with two wins... In three days, the Hawks are moving on. They'll face the Miami Heat beginning with game one on Sunday afternoon in Miami. And today's podcast will be touching mostly on what became a very impressive comeback victory for the Hawks on the road in Cleveland, 107-101. There is plenty to discuss from this contest. It was not always easy for, for Atlanta in this one. They were down by 14 points in the first half. But after halftime, the defense was much, much better. And, of course, Trey Young stole the show. Trey nearly outscored the entire Cleveland Cavaliers roster in the second half of this game. He had 32 points after halftime. He was absolutely magnificent, reminding everyone of why he should be an All-NBA player this year. He was uh, awesome throughout the season. And with this victory, the Hawks, of course, clinch the berth in the playoffs, the return to the playoffs, uh, which is, of course, a nice thing to be, uh, th- thing to do at this point in time. Still an uphill battle. Obviously, you have to go on the road a ton now as the eight seed. You're playing the number one seed and all that stuff. But for tonight especially, lots of celebratory tones for Atlanta as they come back. It was not always a given this season that the Hawks were going to be in the playoffs. And now, after two wins, they managed to tackle that and they'll move on to the next mountain beginning on Saturday in preparation for Sunday afternoon's game. So, as always, on this show, if you're a new listener, what we do here is go through all of the game stuff on a game night, and that includes the pregame context, how it transpired during the game, my own analysis on what transpired, as well as some player evaluations, some stats, all that fun stuff. And at the end of the podcast, a little bit of sort of a preview of Sunday's game. Normally, we would do a sort of a blowout preview edition of the podcast in between, but the Hawks have to play on Sunday afternoon. So there really is no time to do that over the weekend. So I'm going to throw some, uh, some overall thoughts at you at the end of the podcast about heat about the heat and the hawks because uh, that's quicking that's quickly coming around the, the bend here pretty fast so uh no full preview episode in between but i promise you we'll have full coverage of that series as it goes because now it's best of seven no longer is it going to be one and done potentially for atlanta here so as for this particular game which we'll spend most of the podcast on uh again the hawks were sort of fighting uphill a little bit in some respects of course i did two podcasts on this on this game in the last couple of days I crossed over with Locked On Cavs. It went up on Thursday, et cetera. And I picked the Hawks on every platform. I thought the Hawks were going to win this game. They had the best player. I went through that sort of checklist as to why I thought the Hawks were going to win this game. Part of that was Trey. Part of that was experience edge, all that stuff. But the Hawks, if you were worried about this game, you would say number one on the list potentially was that they were not very good on the road for a long time. In fact, they had lost 11 of the last 12 road games against quality opponents. And in the first half, you kind of saw why. The defense was not very good before halftime, and then they had to kind of fight back. Um, on the player valuation and sort of availability standpoint, Jared Allen returned for Cleveland, which is a little bit worrisome for Hawks. I still picked Atlanta, even after knowing that news was coming down the bend. But Jared Allen makes the, the Cavs a different team. Uh, they were very, very good with him and very, very bad without him this season. We saw a little bit of why that was in the first half of this game. On the Hawks' side, McDonald's was, was questionable, ended up playing and playing well. Collins and Lou out of, out of action for Atlanta. And by the way, no update on John. Uh, after the game for Nate McMillan, but certainly the door is now back open for John Collins to come back this season. 
I thought it was always going to be unlikely he would play in the play-in, but now you know a, a playoff series can go for two weeks. So uh, I'm not saying he's going to play on Sunday. I'd be pretty surprised if he did play on Sunday, but I think certainly with the Hawks coming back home in about a week from now, uh, the door is back open for John Collins to potentially return. We'll see about Lou Williams as well in the future. Our friends at Bet Online made the Hawks about two-point favorites in this game tonight. It was up to three or even three and a half before the Jared Allen news became uh, official. He was coming back in and went, went, went back down to two. And that was appropriate in my mind. I think the Hawks, again, were the better team in this game. But having to go on the road, that stuff matters. And we'll get into all of sort of what happened after that starting now. So at the outset, obviously, it was all caps in the first quarter in particular. Cleveland, I thought, started very smartly and by going big with Lauren Markkinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen playing together. Uh, the biggest reason why I thought that was a good idea from the Cavs and a bad omen for the Hawks is that Trey could not hide defensively in the first half. And really, as funny as it sounds now, after he was so good in the second half, I thought Trey was pretty bad before halftime. And some of that's unavoidable with the defense, but um, you know, he didn't really have it going on offense either. Obviously, it didn't matter at the end because he was so good after halftime. But they went after him pretty intently, particularly in the first quarter. They were trying to get at him with whether it be with Garland or Levert or Marketing in the post. Whatever happened, it kind of worked for them offensively. And the Cavs opened the game 15 to 6 in favor of Cleveland. They made, some, they made some shots early. The Hawks were turning the ball over a little bit. Trey had three turnovers in the first five minutes on his own. Um, kind of just a disaster before the first time out for Atlanta. And from there, it didn't get all that much better that much quickly. Obviously, they figured it out eventually. But uh, the Hawks were down 26-14 after eight minutes. And the Cavs had six threes in the first eight minutes. Part of that was certainly they were a little bit hot with their shooting. But if you watch this game, uh, the Hawks defensively were very bad in the first half. The rotations were really rough. Um, they were getting up open looks repeatedly. And also, it was making them. So kudos to them for making those shots. And the Hawks were missing their own shots. Hunter and Gallo were two of eight combined and, and defensively kind of gave them nothing. And Trey struggled, of course, as I said before, on both ends of the floor. The Hawks had six turnovers in the first 10 minutes. And for most teams, that would be pretty bad. For the Hawks, it's like it's like dynamically bad because the Hawks lead the NBA in turnover avoidance. And for them to kick the ball around like that early in the game was uncharacteristic and definitely hurt them in a big way. Uh, rotationally, no huge surprises in this game. Of course, the one lingering negative that I try not to leave with on this podcast, but now I'll sort of talk about it a little bit, is that Click Capella got injured in this game late in the first half. Unfortunately, um, there was a little bit of positivity after the game so from a report from Adrian Wojnarowski, which we'll talk about in a second. But the Hawks had to navigate the second half without Capella, which was unfortunate, of course. Um, in the first half, though, it was pretty typical stuff. Bogdanovich is the first sub, then Wright in a Kongwu. And then TLC for a brief period, uh, no, no, again, no, no surprises there really in terms of who played and who didn't in this spot, once you know who was going to be out and who was going to be in. But defensively, it was genuinely bad for the Hawks for most of the first quarter. Um, the Cavs didn't make six threes, but they were really open. They scored 36 points on 25 possessions in the first half, and sorry, in the first quarter of this game. For comparison's sake, the Cavs scored 40 points in the entire second half on more than double possessions. So, First quarter versus second half was, uh, let's just say, night and day. And seven turnovers. The offensive fundamentals were just fine in this game for the Hawks, except for the ball security in that, in that first quarter, which really, was really rough. But in the second half, uh, first, uh, Bogey actually had the best stretch of anyone in the first half by any individual player. But it came after the Hawks just totally broke down twice in a row on Isaac Coro in transition for an open layup and then a foul, just not stopping the ball, like little stuff that will just drive you crazy if you're trying to watch – um, from a uh, from a scheme from a scheme standpoint or a scouting standpoint, but Bogey got hot and that was huge. He had two steals, it led to buckets, and then a three point play to get back within seven. The Cavs had their first scoring drought of what was going to be many to come down the stretch of this game. 
Bogey made his first five shots and had 12 points in like, I don't know, eight or nine minutes. He was really, really good at the outset. And that got Trey back in at his normal time, which was good because the Hawks uh, were sort of wavering until Bogey got, got it going. Uh, I thought Capella sat for way too long, actually, in the first half and only ended up sitting for uh, 10 minutes straight. I only played 14 minutes in this game because of that. But they got it down to three briefly in the first half. And at that point, it was like, all right, this game is going to reset. The Hawks are in pretty good shape. But as soon as that happened, they went cold. And the Cavs scored the next seven points, and they went up went up by ten points uh, in a hurry. And it honestly could have been worse than that. Garland and Mac and Markinen missed back to back wide open threes that could have made it thirteen for Cleveland. Some overhelping defensively, kind of just some rough stuff all along the way. And then, unfortunately, the foul the foul by Capella on Evan Mobley, and then it ends up being a, a sort of situation where he falls into Capella's leg, and the injury happens at that point. So basically, there's actually a review on Capella for a flagrant foul that was not called a flagrant foul. Um, people were kind of arguing about this and whether it was a dirty play by Mobley. I didn't really see anything live. If you watch the tape in real time and not slow down, it looked pretty normal to me. He kind of got pulled down. I, 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 I'm not going to like close the door on people getting mad about this. I, I, I don't have a huge opinion on it. I think it was not really something that stood out to me as a negative play by Mobley, but obviously the result was very bad for Capella. So Capella had his leg planted sort of firmly and it was straight up and, he, and Mobley went rolling into it. So he went down immediately. He was holding the knee. It did not look great. He went to the locker room immediately, and the Hawks ruled him out quickly uh, during halftime with a hyperextended knee. It was kind of funny, uh, not because of the Capella injury, but because of the way it was disseminated. The Hawks issue this uh, – they actually have a, a sort of behind-the-scenes way to share some information with some of the reporters, which I'm on. And they released the the injury as hypertension, which uh, all of us just kind of shared because it was what it was reported by the Hawks. Uh, it was supposed to be hyperextension, which was kind of a, sort of an amusing time in that little, in a little period of darkness. But uh, – after the game, well after the game, there was no report, no update from Nate McMillan, which is crucially to point out, but he's not ever going to give you too much information. But Woj of ESPN reported the following. He said, and I'm quoting now, there is initial optimism that the that Capella has not suffered significant right knee damage, but an MRI on Saturday will determine the extent of a possible injury. So that's a small bit of optimism. Obviously, without the MRI, they don't really know at this point, but that's at least a positive spin on things. Jeff Stotts, who's an injury expert uh, on the internet, who I trust immensely, actually has been doing this for a long time, uh, just kind of pointed out that hyperextension is not really actually what is is the injury. It's just kind of what happens to the joint. So he says there's a multiple uh, sort of range of injuries from a soft tissue strain to a capsule issue to a more significant ligament sprain in the knee. So it's kind of a wide range on the hyperextension. So we'll see. Uh, Giannis famously had a hyperextension in in the finals last year and was able to come back and uh, uh, play and play well and be the MVP. So I'm not saying he's going to be Giannis, but obviously Capella could be back in the near future or he could be out for a long time. We really don't know at this point. So I want to at least put, put a pin in this now and we'll come back to it. But uh, sort of not, not the greatest thing in the world. Of course, the Hawks getting the win here. It gives some more optimism and I, hopefully he'll be able to uh, rehab. But uh, the range is pretty wide. When it happened, I honestly just candidly thought that he might be out for a long time. So we'll see what happens. I'm not a doctor. I don't really know the information. But when we have it, I'll pass it along to you on Twitter or otherwise. But uh, what would surprise me is if he played on Sunday. But we'll see. He's not impossible. They're not really not ruled him out at this point in time. And we'll come back to that later on in the podcast. Okay, before we get to the rest of the first half, as far as some takeaways are concerned, and also, as always, some second-half thoughts, player evaluations, and a look ahead at the Miami game, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. 
I made it a goal this year to actually eat right, eat much better. I'm having a lot of success with that at this point, and that's really because of Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier for me because I really enjoy eating Built Bars. They have the protein-infused puff bars that are awesome. It's all the other fanfares from Built Bar, and each and every bar has 100% real chocolate, which makes a huge difference both in taste and texture. On top of the taste, Built Bars are low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars both in taste and to improve your overall nutrition. Built.com is all the info that you possibly want. You won't believe it, honestly, because most Built Bars have only four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. And Built Bar has longtime flavors like coconut almond and lemon almond cheesecake, etc. And new flavors coming all the time. Plus, each and every flavor, I've tried them all at this point. They're all delicious. Best way to check out Built Bar, Built Bar is to go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. Okay, so before we move on to the second half, obviously the first half, it, they got into the halftime breakdown 10. And I thought it was actually not as bad as it could have been. I thought and people sort of supported this on Twitter that I, that I trust nationally that were not as close to this as I was. It could have been worse. I think the Hawks could have been down 18, 20 points at halftime. They were kind of fortunate that they weren't in a bigger hole with the way they played, especially because they shot so poorly from three. They were three of 17 from three before halftime. They stopped turning the ball over, which was huge. And they did win the glass and also shot well from inside the arc, which was actually massive. But bogey was huge. But again, in retrospect, people forget, are going to forget about this. That, that's okay. But in the first half, Trey Young had six points on 11 shots and four turnovers, and he was getting killed on defense. Like, it was a worst-case scenario for Trey in the first half. And again, he erased all of that and more after halftime. But uh, going into the halftime, this is why I do these notes in real time to not forget these kind of things. That's where we were coming out of the first half. And then defensively, it's trouble when you give up 10 of 21 from three, but honestly, it was not out of the norm. I'd be the first to tell you if, if I thought the Cavs were just shooting the lights out but they were not really doing that. They missed some good looks. They, they got a ton of good looks. The Hawks were obviously not making any shots from three, which definitely hurt them. But the one bright spot was that they were never got, getting killed by Darius Garland. And that really happened uh, in the second half as well. As a uh, Just to pin in, in this here, the guard play from Cleveland in this game was, uh, let's just say, a huge factor in the Hawks winning. Um, Garland is a guy I like a lot. He's been really good this year. But he had 21 points on 28 shooting possessions in the game. He was 9 of 27 from the floor. Karis LeVert, who uh, is a Michigan guy, so I, I will always love Karis, but he was, I thought, pretty dreadful in this game. And then Rajon Rondo, old friend, was not good either. So those three guards for the Cavs uh, got, got them beat a little bit in this game, which was certainly helpful for the Hawks along the way. As for the second half of this game, obviously they had to go to a Kongwu to start the third quarter. And I'll say this, Kongwu was awesome in the second half. Um, defensively, he was switching with the line right. Those two guys were uh, playing well together. Um, I saw some... Pretty outlandish takes about how you know this is this is just kind of shows you that uh, that Capella's not needed all this stuff that that's insane. Uh, Capella's been awesome for three months now, but kudos at the same time to Okongwu, and we'll get to this later on. But Gorgi Jang did his job in this game for a brief, for a brief period of time when he was forced to come in because Okongwu couldn't play the entire second half on his own. Um, there was a, a weird officiating stretch only in the third quarter when Herter got called for a foul for blowing up a screen. It was supposed to be a four point play, then it wasn't. It was ruled off. It was ruled off. That was kind of the right call, but a nice little break for the Hawks. And then seconds later, Okongwu finishes a layup, gets called for an offensive foul on Jared Allen. Nate McMillan rightfully lost his mind immediately. And I thought it was a pretty obvious challenge spot. Nate challenged. He actually won that. And that bucket uh, was counted. And the Hawks got back within six as a result. That was a huge play. Um, they got to, they almost got to four a few times. Moby had a nice block on Hunter. Uh, Herter got his fourth foul with about eight minutes, 18 minutes to go in the game, which was not great because they had to go a little bit deeper into the bench. But uh, fortunately, DeLon Wright was awesome. 
Then there was this, this weird this weird lull in the third quarter where neither team scored for three minutes of clock time. Uh, that's just a very rare thing that you don't see in the NBA very often. Both teams, and we had, I think it was four, maybe even five empty trips in a row on offense. They finally broke down from there when actually the Cavs scored first, um, gave up a layup from there. And then Congo actually came, came in a pretty, city, pretty silly foul, probably his worst play of the game because he got a third foul at that point, and it was not a uh, smart play overall anyway. And they went to Gorgie Jang with about three minutes to go in the third quarter. Um, I know fans wanted Jalen Johnson. Uh, I, I would have gone to Gorgie if I had to choose someone. Not that it's a great matchup for Gorgie necessarily, but he's the vet. He's probably a little bit more prepared to play than Jalen was, and I think it actually worked out quite well. Uh, Gorgie didn't do anything like huge on his own individually, but he provides spacing. He provides defense. And they were able to win those minutes. It was not because of him necessarily, but he did his job holding on the fort for the Hawks, and that was a very, very important stretch. In fact, the biggest uh, swing of the whole game, I would argue, was actually at the end of the third quarter. And it was a 10-0 run in about two minutes to go from down eight to up by two. And Trey scored 10 points in about 90 seconds on his own later on in that quarter. Uh, he had been, again, not great before this. But uh, from that point forward, he was just absolutely dominant. Um, he ties the game, takes the lead briefly, and they, they go in the, into the quarter break in a tie game. They dominated the third quarter, 33-23. They shot 61% from the floor. Trey had 16 in the quarter. And they were four away from three as a team, only one turnover. Um, they only had um, actually two turnovers since the first quarter. That was a huge improvement for Atlanta. And the Cleveland had five giveaways on their own in the third period overall. And once Trey, Trey got going, it was a danger zone, let's just say, for the Caps. Um, they had to sit Trey for a couple minutes early in the fourth, as they always do. But I thought it was smart to get him back in there about two minutes later. Uh, you know, people always never want Trey to come out of the game, but this, in, this, in this game, I think Nate did a good job of getting him back in there fast. They were minus two in that stretch, but I thought that uh, Gorgie did a good job holding the fort down uh, ice cold. Because the thing is, Jenks played some garbage time minutes, but hasn't really played the rotation in a long, long time and was forced into action as a veteran would be in the hell of his own. Um, defensively, it was really good early in the fourth quarter. DeLon Wright was incredible in this game on Garland, on everyone flying around doing what I always call DeLon Wright stuff. And it was definitely the case here. They got a shot clock heave on marketing. They got a shot clock violation later on in that stretch. And they went up at that point with about nine minutes to go. The Cavs called, the Cavs called timeout and it didn't get any better from there. The Cavs just could not score. So once the Hawks were getting rolling, they actually had an 11-0 run in the fourth quarter early on, where Trey, again, took over. So there was the, the huge stretch at the end of the third quarter, and then another one in the fourth, where um, even the possession that was actually a turnover by Okongwu, Trey had this awesome pass to Okongwu. He just he just wasn't able to finish it. Uh, Trey scored twice in a row for that. And then defensively was the quiet part that people noticed if they were paying attention, but not, not everybody noticed this. At one point, the Cavs scored 25 points in 18 minutes to open the second half. Just uh, to do the math on that, if you were to have that over a full game, that's like a 60-point pace for a game. Uh, that's that's obviously not going to get it done if you're Cleveland. But again, 25 points in 18 minutes against the Hawks. The Hawks are a bottom five defense this season. But they were awesome in that stretch, whether it was the Kongwu, whether it was DeLon, whether it was just guys rot rotating, doing their jobs, um, you know, digging, um, effort plays, all that stuff. Obviously, some help in there from, from Cleveland's offense, which definitely cratered in this game. But the Hawks did a, a lot of that on their own defensively. Uh, rotationally, late in this spot, uh, they did go away from the line, which I didn't love necessarily. They went with some offense defense with Hunter, Gallo, and Bogey. There was one period when they went with Hunter and Gallo together that I kind of hated, and they lost that stretch um, a little bit late later in the fourth quarter. And then from there, it was like kind of back and forth. It was certainly not comfortable at any point until about 30 seconds to go. Trey hit a huge shot with about four minutes left to go up by six, about a 30-footer that 
was certainly a shot that only he can take. I don't think it was a great look, honestly, but Trey makes that shot more often than not, and he made it, and there you go. Um, they were up from there. Gallo missed an open three that would have put the, put up by eight points, actually, but they, they got a good stop after that. Herder missed another three, and then Garland made a jump shot, and it was back to three again. So nothing was comfortable there. Trey then missed a step back. They foul, uh, Mobley fouled, um, was followed by at the rim by Hunter, and then with one twenty-seven to go, the Hawks were up by only one point. They never lost the lead down the stretch, but it was a one-point game with a minute and a half left. They brought in Gallo after a stoppage, and then Trey got to a floater, beating a trap. It was an awesome play, um, kind of a weird trap from Cleveland if you watch the replay back. But still, Trey beats it, gets to the middle, scores, go up by three, and then an awesome play by Akongwu on Karis Levert. Now I thought Levert, like I said before, was really bad at times in this game. But Kongu sort of baited him, made a great play, gets a steal um, with the Hawks up by three points. The Hawks turned it over to open the door a little bit for Cleveland, up by three. But then Kevin Herter kind of gambled, but it was the right decision. Gets a steal in the backcourt right back. And uh, as soon as that happened, the game was basically in hand for Atlanta because it was a shot clock a situation where the Cavs had to foul down by three. They foul, and the Hawks hold their own from there, making free throws, and it never got competitive from that point forward. So basically, it was a certainly a whirlwind down the stretch. There were moments when it felt like the Hawks were teetering a little bit when Trey missed those two shots in a row. Um, Gallo and Herter all missed threes. Uh, there was a little bit of a lull there. But defensively, uh, the Kongwu play and also the Kevin Herter steal after a bad turnover in the backcourt was a, a huge sequence for Atlanta. As for the overall numbers and takeaways in this game, We'll come back to this, of course, but Trey was just ridiculous in the second half. Just unbelievable, unstoppable stuff against a good defense. And you know, we'll come back to that, obviously. But that's that's the headliner, of course, after halftime. But for the team, the Hawks shot 60-plus percent from two in the entire game. That's excellent. They were 20-22 at the line, also excellent. Only 9 of 31 from three, which is not good. But, they, but the Cavs did cool off on their own, so that kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. Here's a weird one, though. The Hawks had 15 assists and 13 turnovers in this game. Now, the 13 turnovers is not terrible. That's actually a pretty solid number. 15 assists is very, very low. A lot of ISO, a lot of sort of lack of ball movement stuff. I don't think the Hawks played beautiful offense for most part in this game, but Trey doing Trey stuff allowed them to kind of overcome that down the stretch, and the offense did enough against a good Cavs defense, especially with Jared Allen back because he's a good team defensively in Cleveland. Um, defensively for the Hawks, after halftime, it was brilliant. In fact, after the first quarter, it was pretty good overall. There were some breakdowns along the way, and the Cavs' offense is not very good, to be candid. They're below average overall. But the Hawks did a good, good job, especially on the road in this game, getting stops. After halftime, the Cavs turned it over 11 times in the second half. They were 350 from three, and that combination leads to 40 points allowed after halftime for the Hawks. For the full game, the Cavs shot the ball pretty well. 57% true shooting for the full contest is actually worse than you would want if you were the Hawks, but the Hawks won every other way. So they won the glass, albeit narrowly, but they won the glass. They won the turnover battle. They won the you know sort of second chance point battle, all that stuff. They won all the little things in this game, at least briefly. Free throw attempts, the Hawks had more. The only area the Hawks lost was three-point shooting by a little bit. Everything else went to Atlanta, and that's how you win a close game on the road. So those are all the numbers. We'll come back to the player evaluation stuff in a moment because we'll have much more on Trey Young. I could probably show that and DeLon Wright, who uh, of course I'm a big supporter of. But before we get to all of that stuff, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. The NBA playoffs are now here in full swing with a jam-packed slate of games almost every night for the next couple of months. And the Hawks, of course, will be participating in that, as we found out earlier today as I record this. And baseball is also in full swing. So with that in mind, there'll be lots of action in the coming days. And BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and your information this season from all the latest odds, contests, player props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline has the all of the latest developments in sports, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. 
Of course, it's not just basketball or baseball either. They have all kinds of other things, including live betting and casino games and all kinds of other sports, whether it be golf, esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and other options. And futures markets are always open, whether it be to win the NBA title or the conference title or football stuff in, in a far looking ahead kind of a portion of the program with college football coming and the NFL always looming in the sports world. All of that can be found at BetOnline.net. Check it out on your computer or mobile device right now to learn more about the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, second half, of course, went to the Hawks, and a lot of that was the personnel. So we'll go through all the players now that appeared for the Hawks. And uh, generally, most guys played pretty well. Obviously, there were some weaker links along the way, but uh, mostly positive stuff coming on the podcast. I saw some uh, replies to my show on Wednesday about like how I was criticizing in the Hawks in a win. And uh, I'll just say this for new listeners. I'm sure I have some new listeners slash followers. I'm never going to tell you just, just the positive stuff. That's just never going to happen. Obviously, it's more positive when the Hawks win. No question about that. But uh, I will always give you the full picture. So if you don't look, if you don't love that, my apologies, but that's just kind of the, the way that I do this. And uh, I will give you the good and the bad and my own opinions all the time and my informed analysis along the way. So all that said, uh, TLC and Jang played very sparingly, but both did their jobs in this game to kind of just plug and play, giving them just a few minutes, four minutes for TLC, five for five for Gorgie Jang, and they were both plus four and plus five. Um, again, not, not because of them, but they did their job. Uh, I thought a Kongwu was really good. Uh, only took one shot in this game, which is kind of weird, but uh, two points, obviously made his one shot. Uh, eight rebounds defensively, nine overall. That's very, very good stuff. And when they had to have that on the, on the glass, had a steal, had a couple of uh, definitely impactful contest at the rim he was plus 21 he was on the floor for a lot of that run in the second half of course because he was the starting center by the time capella left the game but i thought uh kong was really good defensively and really just overall bogey was huge in the first half of this game he wasn't bad in the second half either but he had 19 points i believe he had 12 of them in his first stint on the floor but uh 19 points on eight shots five five three or line two or three from three five rebounds two assists three steals including two that were kind of back to back in the first half just a huge stretch from him um, you know, when he's right, the Hawks were a different team. We saw that last year in the second half of the season. We saw that this year in the second half of the season. And uh, he's really potent. If anything, he didn't play enough in my mind. But alas, we'll come back to that if we need to. And then DeLon Wright. So if you're a listener to the show regularly, you will know this. But I am uh, someone who's very high on DeLon Wright. I've been telling people all year long that DeLon Wright does little things. And I, that's the best way I can could, I could describe it to you. In this game, he got a lot of shine for that, which was positive. But he earned every every piece of it. Um, he only took three shots. And the way that I would say is like DeLon Wright made about as big of an impact as you can make on a game, taking three shots. He had two points. He had six rebounds. He had one assist. He had one block. He was plus 24. And he took Darius Garland out of the game at times. He made huge impact defensive plays. He was rebounding. He was getting into guys. He was forcing switches. Uh, all the stuff that you would want from DeLon Wright in one form. Like, I, I don't want to go crazy on it. I, I kind of talked about doing a half-hour podcast on DeLon Wright after the game. But uh, I appreciate DeLon every night, mostly, just for the way he does little things. It doesn't really care about scoring, all that stuff. But uh, this is a masterclass from DeLon. I think if you were arguing um, MVPs of the game for the Hawks, obviously Trey would be the guy. But you could reasonably argue that DeLon was number two. And that is uh, – I'm not saying you have to say that, but he certainly was in the top three or four. No question about that, even though, again, he had two points. Um, it was just him making an impact. I've tried to bang the drum as much as I can all the season long. I feel good about that at this point, but uh, I was good to see have him have a sort of a showcase here, national stage, all that stuff, and uh, he was a hugely important part of the Hawks' comeback victory. Okay, to the starters. Uh, obviously, Capella, I thought, played well before he left. Seven points and eight rebounds in 13 minutes. Uh, we'll, of course, hold our breaths until uh, the news comes out Saturday or Sunday about his update. 
But uh, in the meantime, obviously just fingers crossed on Clint's health. Um, even just as a note here, um, independent of this season, of course, this year is, of course, on everybody's mind right now with the Hawks playing a playoff series on Sunday. But if he were to have, and hopefully that doesn't happen, if he were to have a long-term injury, it can affect his summer. It can affect his next season if it were to be a serious injury. There's lots of different impacts here that could happen. And, you know, one of the things about Capella is that uh, he's not had a full season, sorry, full offseason to get work in and get in shape and all that stuff because of the Achilles soreness he's had the last two years. And this is going to happen maybe again if he's limited. So hopefully not. Hopefully he's back in a, in a couple days and uh, all's right with the world. But uh, our best wishes to Clint, obviously, at this point. Elsewhere, uh, I thought DeAndre Hunter was probably the guy who struggled the most for the Hawks in this game. He had 10 points on 14 shots, five rebounds. He was better in the second half. I'll say that. He was pretty struggling in the first half. Um, he was five down on two, which is actually totally fine, but oh, five on threes. Um, you know, no assists, no steals, no blocks, kind of a typical DeAndre Hunter line. He was actually minus 16 in this game. I'm not sure if that was only on him, but uh, it was one of those things where I thought he probably should have played less than he did. People were asking uh, even more frustratingly than I would about why he played so much at that, at times. I'll say this, like even with Capella out, especially Hunter – because Collins is not around, Hunter is the backup power forward. So it's hard to just not play him, um, even as someone who was calling for him to play less than down stretch of this game. Uh, he was good on Wednesday. I want to be positive about that and just point that out, that he did play well against the Hornets. He kind of reverted a little bit back to where he's been the last few weeks before this in this game. So obviously the Hawks, as we look ahead a little bit to the Miami series, they're going to need him to be good in Miami to win uh, that series in an upset fashion. But um, he's capable of it. We'll see if he can actually turn it down. But if, there was, if you're trying to find one guy who struggled in this game, it was probably Downer Hunter. The other guy who was probably in contention for that was Gallinari, uh, 14 points on 15 shots, which is not super efficient, three rebounds. Uh, defensively, he was, aside from Trey, clearly the guy that picked on, they got picked on the most by the Cavs, um, and he just didn't play that well. He was on the floor a lot in the second half when it was not, not really him making the plays, but I thought Gallo was not particularly good, so we'll see if he can play better than this against Miami, but uh, just want to circle that right now. I thought Herter played well. 13 points on 11 shots is not like excellent, but defensively he was really kind of bothering Garland at times when DeLon wasn't in the game. He did a good job on Karis LeVert at times as well. Um, and this is the second game in a row where he really he really bothered Lamella Ball on Wednesday too. I think Herter's been playing good defense. He's just kind of making win, winning plays, a huge steal at the end, um, had two assists as well. Uh, foul trouble stuff along the way. It wasn't like he was an A-plus in this one, but I thought Herter did his job pretty well. And then finally, Trey Young. Uh, like I said, Trey's first half, one to forget. Trey's second half, not one to forget, let's just say. So, Second half only. These are the numbers for Trey Young. This is insane. This is this is a full game for anybody that's dominant. This is only second half numbers. 32 points on 10 of 14 shooting, four of seven from three, five assists, no turnovers, which is crucial. He had he had four in the first quarter and zero in the second half of this game. Here's a crazy one from ESPN. He Trey scored or assisted on 43 points for the Hawks after halftime. In comparison, the Cavs only scored 40 points. So only Trey scoring assists uh, beat the Cavs after halftime. In fact, only his scoring, he only, he only, only would have lost to the Cavs by eight points after halftime. He was unbelievable. And you could say anything you want to say. Like, I understand the critiques about Trey. I will point out, like, in the first half, his defense was, like, just glaringly a problem at times. But at the end of the day, one of the reasons why I picked the Hawks on this podcast and other platforms, other visits, locked on Sports Atlanta, uh, crossovers and all this stuff was because the Hawks have Trey Young and the Cavs didn't. And Darius Garland's going to be good. He's not as good as Trey Young right now. And uh, Trey just basically won that matchup by a lot in this game. And at the end of the day, like in the, in the NBA playoffs, especially in a one-game scenario, having the guy who's the best player on the floor is a huge, huge advantage. 
And that's why the Hawks won this game. Obviously, there were other things in play. DeLon Wright, Kongwu. And I don't want to undersell the defense because the defense was actually quite good in the second half of this game. But um, they don't want it without Trey going nuclear. And he did that. And uh, that is why it's very helpful to have an all-NBA level guard on your team. So uh, that's enough of that for now. Um, from here, we'll get into briefly now at the end of the podcast some stuff about Miami. Uh, one quick note that is not about Miami, but it's also uh, now a fact, and it changed as of tonight. Um, the Hawks now, no matter what happens in the NBA playoffs, will have the number 16 pick in the NBA draft unless they trade it. If they would have lost tonight, they'd have been in the lottery. There would have been some, uh, some, let's just say, uh, movement potential in there. But now, with the Hawks making the playoffs, they are now locked in, and it does not matter if they go on a run. So that's the good thing about the, about this spot is that you know last year, famously, the Hawks won the conference finals, and they still picked number twenty overall because the record of the, re- the record season is what matters. Because the Hawks are the eight seed, uh, they have only a better record than one team that is uh, in the playoffs. And that's the team from the West that's going to be out of coming out of the plan. So. Uh, number 16 in the draft. So if you are a draft person like I am, you can plan ahead now, knowing where the Hawks will be choosing in the in the draft. Uh, as a note, by the way, the Hornets pick is not coming. It was never coming in the last couple of weeks, really. Um, but just as a reminder, that's going to roll over to next year and beyond. We'll get into that as we, as we need to. But the Hawks are only going to have one first-round pick. Let's say trade for another one. It'll be number 16 overall. Okay. Uh, Miami, as I mentioned before, the game, the game one begins at 1 o'clock Eastern on Easter Sunday. That's a quick turnaround, let's just say. That's one of the punishments for being in the 9-10 game is that the Hawks have to now go from Cleveland where they will not be on the plane until after midnight to play a 1 o'clock tip in Miami against a team that's not played in a full week. Now, on the bright side, the Heat might be rusty. They haven't played in six days. Now, on the other side, the Hawks are going to be probably a little bit tired. Maybe they'll have better legs because they were just won and they'll have momentum and all that stuff. But uh, that'll be interesting to see how, the, how they react to that on both sides, where it's the, uh, the heat at home coming off of a layoff or the Hawks maybe having some heavy legs after two must-win games. Alas, uh, the Hawks went one and three against Miami this year. Um, they actually had some issues on both ends of the floor in those four games. They were actually below average offensively, and they gave up almost 1.2 points per possession to the heat. Not great. I don't want to make too much out of that, but they were one and three against Miami this year. Just quick synopsis stuff about the heat. Miami is excellent defensively, top five in the league this year, and they are legitimately dominant when they could play their best guys defensively, but they have some soft spots for sure. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess are all pretty bad defenders at times if the Hawks can figure out how to play, how to, how to attack those guys. And Miami also fouls a lot. They're bottom five in the NBA and free throw rate allowed, which could open the door for Trey Young to get the line quite a bit in this series. Uh, I am not a huge believer in Miami. As I said a lot on this podcast, dating back to the preseason, I was probably a little bit too low on Miami, but all the way around, every time we've had a show uh, about the Eastern Conference, whether it be with Ben Ladner or Robbie Callen or whoever else in the show, I've always kind of expressed that I don't love Miami. I just don't. So maybe that benefits the Hawks. Maybe I'm wrong about that. We'll see. But uh, I think I'm going to have a little bit higher opinion of the Hawks in this series than most people nationally will because I, I just don't believe Miami all that much. And part of that is their offense. So they're above average offensively, but nothing special at all. I turn them all over a lot. They, they do shoot it very well. They have great shooters, and Hero Robinson, Struess, Kyle Lowry are all really good shooters. Um, they don't have a single dominant guy, obviously, but Jimmy Butler can get his own shot whenever he wants it. We'll see if Hunter gets the assignment on him primarily. Um, they have Lowry. They have Bam Adebayo, who's really skilled, and a bunch of shooters around them. The thing about Miami, though, that we'll get into probably a lot during the series, is that Miami has lineups where they have either non-shooters on their defensive lineups, or they have guys who can't play defense, like Hero and Robinson and Struz. So the thing about Miami is that they have to figure out a lineup that can do both. And the Hawks have that same problem at times. You know, they're playing these lineups that have Trey. Of course, defensively is a problem. Gallo is a one-way player at this point in time, et cetera. So it's not like it's a unique thing to Miami. But 
I believe the Hawks can guard the Heat in the half court. Uh, we saw it in, in this game tonight. The question is whether the Heat can stop the Hawks. And Miami is also number one in the NBA, number one in the NBA in transition efficiency on offense. When, when, when they don't, when they run, they're awesome when they do. Um, I think the Hawks take care of the ball, and that's a very, very important thing to have happen in this series. I have not seen the bet online numbers so far, so I don't want to pass those along to you erroneously, but uh, the Hawks will be underdogs in the series. I think that's not going to be a huge shock. I know there will be Hawks fans that don't love that, but it's what it is. The Hawks are the eighth seed against the number one seed. Miami is relatively healthy, so no one is going to pick the Hawks in the series, I don't think, nationally. Um, I will say I think the Hawks have a better chance than most people do. I saw some preliminary numbers and had just my own estimates. I am going to be higher on the Hawks in this series than I believe other people will. I think the Hawks can absolutely win the series. Um, of course, there's some caveats here. If Capella were to be out for the series, that's a huge blow. Um, not only because of him being gone, but Kongwu is good for sure, but it's the guys behind them. It's like, what do you do about that? those minutes where like Kongwu has to play basically the whole second half over five minutes. Can he play 40 minutes in a playoff game? I have no idea. I assume he probably will try if Capella's out, but we'll see. Um, also, there's there's the John Collins thing. So if, if Capella and Collins are both out, that's really tough for the Hawks. It's not impossible because they have Trey Young. And by the way, Trey Young is the best player in this series. That may not be said by everybody, but I firmly believe Trey Young is the best player in the series, even against the number one seed, Miami Heat. And that's not a shot at Jimmy Butler or Bayline Abayo, but I think Trey is better than those guys. I really do. So that helps the Hawks, of course, in this series. The problem is the Hawks have been pretty bad on the road. I know they won tonight, but certainly not um, a ton of road wins against good teams this season. And also the injury stuff. So if we'll see more and learn learn more about Collins and Capella in the coming days. If they were both out, it's tough to pick the Hawks. If one of them plays, that's a little bit easier because Collins can play some five if he, if he comes back. Obviously, Capella is a five. But uh, some adjustments will be coming. I do think that the Heat had the better coach in this series, unfortunately, if you are the Hawks. I, you know, not saying that Nate's terrible or anything because he's not, but I think Spolster is legitimately elite. There's only about five, six guys in the league that I think are like huge positive added coaches and suppose one of them. So that's a, that's kind of a disadvantage for you if you were the Hawks. And of course, Miami's better in defense than the Hawks are, but the Hawks are better in offense, which definitely loves playing field. So that's a little bit of a synopsis, like a five-minute preview of this series. Again, the Hawks are going to be underdogs. They, it's the nature of being a eight seed against the number one seed, but I think it's winnable. I think it's not a situation where I'm, like, I'm going to say the Hawks are dead. I'm sure you will have some people, especially with Capella's injury, saying, look, Miami's going to dominate the series. That could happen, but I think the Hawks are very live as underdogs in this series. They could definitely win it, especially if Trey is Trey in capital letters, and uh, that is the ultimate weapon for Atlanta. So I've said a lot on this podcast. I've probably rambled too much on this show for a solo episode uh, as of like midnight plus Eastern time <laughs> into Saturday, but a great win for the Hawks to go on the road, get into the playoffs. Still like a, a season that's kind of been a rocky road for Atlanta, all things considered, but at the end of the day now, they're in the tournament, as they say, and uh, the season I guess the second season begins on Sunday at 1 p.m. And we'll have full coverage of that. So please, please, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those places, Stitcher, et cetera. And also on YouTube, if you listen to the audio show already, thank you very much for doing that. If you don't mind, please subscribe on the YouTube channel as well. I'm trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. Hopefully that'll be a little bit boosted by the playoffs, but we're trying to boost that as well. Even if you don't plan to watch it on YouTube, it does it does help us a lot if you if you subscribe. So go ahead and do that. Also follow me on Twitter if you'd like to, at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter, at LockedOnHawks. And we'll see you at the very latest after the game on Sunday. Uh, spend your Easter with us after that, and we'll see you next time.